Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, Thomas and Caballeros. Welcome back to another edition of Leadering Radio. I'm your host, Dave Duenas, with my co-host, Mr. Gabriel Montoya. What's going on, brother? What's up, man? How you doing? Happy Thursday. Happy, happy, happy Thursday. Um, Going good. You know, I mean, I got to tell you this. This past year of boxing has really, you know, lived up to the hype. The Lomachenko Linares gave us a lot more than we expected and thought we were going to get. I mean, I was completely satisfied with the fight. You know, being on ESPN, um, being that it could have been on paid uh, cable, it didn't go there. It ended up on a network where everybody can watch, excuse me, watch and see. And it gave the casual fans something to um, really sit back and go, hey, Boxing's still here to stay. It's not going anywhere. Even though we know, uh, you know, between us, uh, hardcore boxing fans, we know it, it wasn't going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, it was what a what a beautiful fight that was. I mean, it was just ebb and flow. I had a you know a buddy over uh, that's in boxing, and, and we just you know back and you know for the first what six rounds of the fight. Uh, until the knockdown, I thought, you know, Lenars is in real trouble. Like after the third round, I thought, you know, the dude is, he's doing what I said he, he needed to do to win, which was kind of sit back, let the fight come to him, uh, be Brera to Lomacheco's Hamed, although, you know, Loma's got much better technique and, you know, he's not as wild and, and uh, undisciplined as, as Hamed ended up turning out to be, uh, particularly in the preparation for that fight. But he needed to be the guy that, that was patient, stayed in the pocket, stayed within himself, didn't try to take too many big chances. Um, and it paid off in the sixth round when he, when he put down Lomacheco, but I still felt he reminded me a lot of, of Linares did of Vladimir Klitschko in his final fight against Anthony Joshua. And that mm. you know, he could control distance, he could control things with the jab, he could mix and, uh, and the left hook. Uh, and there was a uppercut in there as well, but he had to kind of stay within a certain speed and tempo. Uh, the, the fight couldn't get crazy. He couldn't get into exchanges or bad things would happen for him. The wheels would start to come off. I, I thought his legs well, didn't look, they looked terrible, but they didn't have that same bounce uh, th- that he'd had in, in, in previous years, particularly against a speed demon like Loma. You know what? I agree with you because just like a lot of McClusco, here's a guy that's been knocked out. He's been hurt in previous fights. Lenars understood. I think Lenars understands what he brings to the table and what he doesn't. You know, one thing is he brings to the table is he's got great boxing skills. There's no question about that. I think every fight fan that's been watching him for some time have said this guy boxes beautiful. But his his Achilles always been his chin. You connect to it correctly, and you fold. Well, he fought like that. Um, he pressed when he needed to press. After that sixth round, though. Lomachenko, in my opinion, who's having some early success, who is doing what I really like is he likes to pity Pat to make you believe that's always going to throw, and then he sneaks in uh, the power punches in between those pity pats, which you don't see. 
Lomachenko got confident, saw that he was able to take the bigger guy, longer ranger uh, fighters, punches, and then suddenly walked into a nice, beautiful straight right that came from the elbow. It didn't come from around. It, 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 it didn't reach. It was just perfectly timed. And that's something that Linares, um, unlike a lot of his opponents that, that Lomachenko's faced, um, was brilliant at. He knew how to time Lomachenko. He knew that, you know what, let me throw the jab. And if when I missed you, he did exactly what his promoter, Oscar De La Hoya, used to do in the past. Throw the jab. I might miss you. I'm going to leave it out there stiff and hold you behind the head or on the shoulder so that you can't get leverage to counterpunch me. Lonars did that. Yeah, no, I, I, he, he was a masterful performance until, you know, the, he was losing, but he was very much in the game. And uh, but he needed to be doing more than just two shots or one shot at a time. He needed you need three or four against uh, a Lomachenko, who's super fast. And like early on, you didn't you weren't crazy about his style. And you know we're only what you know eleven fights in, so we're figuring out who this guy is. And right. Yeah. There's a method to the madness. He's kind of always kind of just pecking at you, constantly driving you crazy, keeping you you occupied. Uh, you know, whether it's, it's an off-speed pitch of just like tap, tap, tap with the, with the jab uh, and then come back with the, you know, uh, with a rear cross. Uh, and then he's off, even in his movement, uh, where he could be ducking one way, sliding back the other, and then kind of uh, I rarely see a fighter able to do this, where he's kind of backing up and then he's coming forward. He's changing direction so fast, uh, just like almost mid-move and exploding on you. Uh, so I thought Lenars had a great game plan for it. Uh, but I didn't feel, like I said I thought he would be the steadier guy, uh, but that Loma would have the bigger moment. So I was a bit wrong, and I, I thought Loma, you know, uh, was doing also some really quality work in there. He wasn't, it wasn't just flash. He was getting to the body a bit. Uh, just, just really keeping, uh, kind of freezing Linares in a right. sense, with all that activity. He, he did exactly what you're supposed to do. You're, you're supposed to invest in certain uh, uh, real estate, and he did that. He invested in certain things. And then, and then he he decided to test to, to test you know uh, during the you know fifth and sixth round um, was this enough um, can I cash out and finding out that it might have been a bit too early and Lenars caught him dropped him what I liked about Lomachenko was that he did something that most folks don't normally do which is adjust you know he saw that hey this is the shot that caught me. Days me. I mean, he's lucky. Let's put it out there. You know, I know the Lomachenko fans, the, the fanboys of the world are not going to see the flaws that Lomachenko did. They're going to say it was a flash knockdown. This was no flash knockdown. He got rocked. If it wasn't late in the round, I don't know. There could have been a strong possibility the outcome would have been different. In my opinion, Lomachenko was lucky. It was in the later round, and he had the last, the last of the seconds to kind of keep away and box his way, way out. Coming into the next round, you saw that he still didn't have his bearings completely. He stayed very cautious. He stayed very intelligent. He understood I was rocked. I got to adjust to it. And he did. And what he did to nummify Linares' straight right is every time he threw a punch, he made sure he crossed his left or his right across his face so he caught any counterpunch, and it was brilliant. He did that, and it made Lenars try to readjust what was successful, and that's what created mistakes for him. 
either way, it was it, to me this was a high level of chess match in boxing. Oh, I mean it's you know there was two two ring technicians in there making adjustments, trying to get to each other. Um, the experience of, of Lenardo's combined with his his uh, technique that's a formidable problem for for Lomachenko. Now, do I think that Loma beat the very best 135 pounder in the world? No, I, I believe that distinction uh, might belong to Mikey Garcia. Uh, we need to see more of a sample size of him. Um, you know, and certainly there there are other uh, you know more uh, dangerous fighters out there than I, I think than Lenardo's. Just things hadn't fully cooked at that division. You know, you got Robert Easter Jr. Uh, you got Ray Beltron, who's tough. I, I, I would pick, you know, uh, I would pick Loma definitely over, over Ray Beltron, but against Robert Easter Jr. Um, I mean, do I think Loma is like, you know, more well-rounded and, and a better fighter if all things are equal? Yeah, but that guy's huge. So all things aren't equal. Um, be an interesting fight. Although, you know, he's, he's in a different universe. Um, so you know, you know I, think uh, Lomo, I think with Lomo's uh, here's the thing too. You know, I mean, like you mentioned earlier, I, I was not a major fan. Why? Because, you know what, footwork is is something that you need in boxing. Something that's been a, a I think a, um, something that 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 I think a lot of trainers have forgotten and don't teach their fighters. And Lomachenko obviously brought that back. You know, um, I'm a guy. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a I'm a student of the old game. I've watched guys from Salvador Sanchez to Pernell Whitaker, you name it, uh, Willie Pep. Uh, those are guys that I've watched and studied and admire. So seeing Lomachenko step in the ring, was it refreshing to see a guy do this? Absolutely. But to sit there and make it sound like this guy invented it, that's what I was against because I was like, hey, not just footwork win fights. We've seen this. Pernell, if that was the case, Pernell Whitaker won every, every fucking fight that he ever stepped in. You know, What I needed from him was to see him dig deep. See what else he needed to win a fight. And what Lenaris brought out of him is exactly what I was asking for. A guy that, did, that couldn't just rely on footwork to win fights because footwork was being countered by footwork for Lenaris. However you look at it, yeah, Lenaris uh, uh, definitely looked like a, a, a Latimer Klitschko. But still, it was enough to numify Lomachenko's footwork. It was enough to take away certain certain things of his weapons and, and his repertoire that he was trying to bring to the table. So so it made it more that much more of an interesting fight. And then after he gets dropped, Lomachenko said, "You know what? This is not going to just win me the fight. I got to do something different." And he brought in power. He stepped on the gas and he started showing that aggressiveness that a champion is supposed to do when they're in trouble. He fought like, in my opinion, he fought like he was in trouble. There was a strong possibility he was going to lose this, lose this fight. And guess what? On, on two of the judges' scorecards, he was losing the fight. Yeah, I mean, the, the, this fight was – it just it showed us what we wanted to know about Lomachenko, I think. You know, uh, getting knocked down, getting back up, uh, and putting his opponent on his ass – being behind, I mean, he wouldn't have been behind if, if not for the knockdown, as I understand. But, uh, you right. know, still, it, it, the, the tables had turned on him. And he did, he did seem like he had to kind of uh, get himself back into the fight a little bit, uh, get his bearings back a little bit. He wasn't, you know, on Queer Street, but he was definitely, uh, you know, he was definitely affected by the knockdown. Uh, the bigger guy catching him perfectly. It was kind of a balanced shot, but 
uh, just perfectly timed, perfectly angled shots. You know, as he's coming in, um, there's no way he couldn't have been rocked. He didn't even see it coming. Um, and he, he fought so, you know, 12 fights in to, 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 right. to have this kind of thing, you know, uh, kind of this little trial by fire. This is the kind of fight you want for that guy against this level of opponent. You know, and, and here's the thing. When he gets dropped and he comes back on that second, and he comes back in the next round, there's two ways it could have went about. Okay, he could have went um, very cloudy and got desperate and made even more mistakes and got hurt and got dropped again and lost the fight. To me, he controlled his aggression. He understood that, okay, I got dropped. Let me clear my mind and, 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 and let me just get back in the control again. And then when the time is right, I'm going to strike. And it's exactly what he did. That's what champions do. That's what I was morally, more impressed by Lomachenko. Because those are the questions that lingered for me. For me. I'm not saying for everybody else. For me. I wanted to see, okay, when things don't go your way, you get rocked, you get hurt, how are you going to react? When you're back in that same position with, uh, uh, um, with Orlando Salido, how do you react? I mean, granted, he didn't get hurt in that fight, but he didn't seem to know how to take control again. Time around, we saw a much more mature uh, fighter, most definitely, even in the short reign that he's been in the division, you know, I mean, he jumped up, but in, in the boxing pro rankings, uh, I think we saw the best of the kid in what potentially he's going to grow to even get better. Now, if you were to press me right now to think, to ask me, who do you think is going to win between Mikey Garcia or who do I favor? Uh, Gabriel, I, I got to sit back and I got to tell you the truth. I what I saw on this past Saturday was a guy that can overcome adversary, but at the same time, I wonder, can he take a Mikey Garcia who's very accurate and has good footwork punch? That's a big question. I don't think Lomachenko walks in the, into this fight as the heavy favor. I think, if anything, it may be equal or he might be slightly under. I would go with Mikey Garcia in that. I mean, the speed, and you know, the thing I like about Loma, I'd say the speed is, is it's in his favor, uh, but then he gets right to work. You know, Mikey kind of is like, a, like I've always called him, he's a sniper. He takes a long time, lines up his shot, uh, but when he lets it go, you know, you got problems. Once, you know, dials in with you, uh, it seems like he's, as of late, has started a little, quick, little bit quicker. But, uh, you know, I would. That's the thing. You know, that I would. I would like Mikey uh, over Gar- Garcia. Is just that. Uh, I mean, uh, Mikey over over Lomachenko is that. Uh, he's just. Got, he's got all the punches. He's got that. Fun, the fundamentals. He's got the great footwork, like you said. And his. I think him taking center ring and pissing with that jab is different than Linares doing it. Who has a good jab, but it, it's not a damaging, punishing jab. Whereas Mikey can, can beat you with his jab, and then you know we get you, get you drunk. And then knock you out with the other hand. Uh, so I, I think, yeah, I would, I would definitely, if, if they made it right now, uh, I, I would lean towards Mikey. And, you know, he's got more experience in, in some sense. You know, the one thing that we have to credit, Lenars, and here's the thing. When you do something repetitively, you can study it, you can understand it, and then you can start anticipating it. Lenars was able to anticipate certain movements that Lomachenko uh, was doing in there. That's why he was able to capitalize, and that's why Lomachenko wasn't as successful as you've seen him in the past by pivoting or jumping over um, at, at, at an angle 
that the fighter that he was facing wasn't able to see. Mikey Garcia and his team are not those kind of guys that overlook things like that. That's why, to me, this makes it even a more interesting match and possibly another great chess match. Because, to me, if and when they do face each other, which I don't believe. I see some people saying that Mikey Garcia is ducking Lomachenko. Dude, what's wrong with you people? Seriously, he's got a fight coming up with Easter. That's not an easy fight. For anybody to sit back and say that Mikey Garcia is ducking Lomachenko, God, that's just stupid. Stupid. You know, because the guy's a free agent, you think he's going to duck somebody? It doesn't happen. The guy has mentioned, yeah, I want the best, biggest possible fights out there. Right now, Lomachenko may be the best, biggest possible fight out there for him in the division of 135. But going back to what I was saying, my thought about it is this, is that if Lomachenko had to dig deep with Linares after the sixth round to get the fight, he's going to have to dig deep with Mikey Garcia, who's a much more accurate, better footwork, and younger, strong fighter. To me, it's right on the wall. It's going to be who, who has the best night when they face each other. We don't have Tom on the line yet, but uh, we can you know, get to the, the other big fight of the weekend, the crowning of a new champion, if you want. Yeah, that's definitely. Uh, Jaime uh, Morgia, who's 154, gets in with uh, Saddam Ali. From Golden Boy, which I got to tell you, I don't know if you saw my tweet. I was like, wow. I was like watching a a man chasing down his child around the around the kitchen table because he did something that he wasn't supposed to do. I mean, size difference was evident. It was like, holy smokes. But at the same time, you know, Jaime made the weight, and he made it comfortably, and, and he showed up at the weight that was desired. Then there shouldn't be a problem. I see a lot of folks saying that Golden Boy set up uh, uh, Salam Ali, which I just kind of find it weird because I thought champions are supposed to face who, who's ever put in front of them. If you're a real champion, you're going to fight the guy, and you're going to find a way to beat the guy. So to say that he was set up, I, I just don't see that. I don't see that at all. What I see is that he fought, he fought Miguel Cotto, who wasn't a true 154. We know this. You know this. We've talked about this. I think plenty of fans have talked about this and mentioned this. He fought a wounded and an injured uh, Sergio Martinez, who was really out of his prime. And they knew how to pick the fight. They got it. They got the win. And then eventually, they picked Ali because they figured, okay, this guy's moving up. It's a safer match, which Cotto has shown later on in his career after being faced with some of the best fighters in the world. He's, he did, you know, he, he hasn't had the greatest run. Am I wrong about this, Gabriel? The greatest run against the guys in his prime. He's fell short of it. Uh, you mean you're talking Ali? Yeah. I mean, I think... No, Miguel uh, sorry, Cotto. Miguel Cotto. Texting Miguel here Cotto and, yeah. You know, Miguel Cotto. You know, well, so you he know, gets like, in with Ali. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you know, with Cotto, it's a very carefully crafted career. I know everybody feels he's a he's a Hall of Famer. Um, he became, you know, definitely a franchise. He was kind of the other pay-per-view guy in the era of, of Manny and Floyd. Uh, you know, over the last few years, people have really kind of turned on him. It's strange that boxing fans, you know, they the, the quick to label a guy a diva. Uh, but this is a business about, you know, it's a singular business for, for a, a boxer. They have one career to worry about, which is theirs. Um, and... You know they're they're uh, they got a you know it's a cutthroat business. Everybody's looking to beat you from the, the promoters, the managers. Uh, maybe the trainers are probably your only ally. 
Um, and, and uh, you know, Cotto is a very carefully matched career. It took him a long time to actually take a title from somebody. He had a lot of vacant title wins, uh, you know, uh, which is interesting because that was a criticism of, of, of Robert Guerrero by, by some. Uh, but, you know, Robert's with Al Heyman and, and Miguel Cotto's with Bob Arum. So, you know, with Bob, it's good promoting. Uh, with Al Heyman, it's like, what is he doing? He's killing the sport. Uh, but I digress. Uh, you know, and he gets to, he wanted that fairy tale ending, Cotto did, and uh, he didn't get it. You know, instead he got beat by Ali, who's really a 47, moving up to 54. Um, and, you know, he caught Cotto, kind of, you know, it's karmic justice there, or poetic justice. Uh, he, Ali caught Cotto at the right time, the right weight, uh, and, and uh, picks up that belt. Uh, but then he ends up in this fight. It, it's so strange. Like, we looked at the Triple G fight, and it's like, you know, because of people care about health and safety as they should, a guy tests positive for clenbuterol, a drug that has a, a long history of you know being in, uh, contaminated beef, uh, and, and guys getting exonerated. We lose that fight, which is a fairly even matchup, uh, arguably the best matchup at, at 160, um, and instead we get a, a mismatch uh, between Vanus and Triple G. So that's the acceptable uh, you know uh, health and safety risk in, in boxing. We also get that Spike O'Sullivan fight, which. Uh, it was a pretty brutal mismatch. And, you know, and then on the flip side of it, just a, a short time later, we get this fight, which ends up being a mismatch, uh, but, you know, is, is, a, is a short notice bout. Uh, I mean, props to Ali for taking the fight with Munjia. It was probably a calculated risk, thinking his experience and boxing skill would, would win out. But, uh, wow, he went snake eyes on that roll because Munjia just rolled well, right over him. Well, uh, it was brutal, yeah. man. <laughs> it was brutal. And, you know, think about, okay, talking about mismatches. You know, uh, uh, you're going back with uh, Triple G and and Matarosian. Uh If you want to talk Tom, about the, the setup, okay, let, let's bring him on really quick. Okay, we'll, we'll put that thought on hold. And uh, joining us is uh, head of uh, 360 Promotions, uh, Tom Loeffler. How you doing, Tom? Hey, Gabe. I'm good. How are you, how are you guys doing? I'm doing well. Doing is that, great. Is that the way to is 360 Promotions and K2? Like, how do I? Now introduce you. The, the switch. <laughs> Man of uh, many hats. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Going from managing, managing fighters to uh, starting uh, K2 with the Klitschko brothers. Um, you know, had the long. How about, how about just how about, how about just how about just Tom with many belts? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Triple D's got the belts. You've the got belts the hats. Matter. And then uh, Triple G uh, promotions that uh, was started last year by Triple G and uh, 360 uh, promotions. We do the super fine shows, the uh, Avalon uh, Hollywood shows, which has been a big hit with the fans. We're doing the next show June 6th at the Avalon Hollywood, and uh, uh, Triple G might even be there at that uh, show. So um, it's going to be a fun night out. And a shop across the headlining edge, trained by Abel Sanchez. It's going to be a great, uh, great night of boxing at the uh, at the Avalon in Hollywood. Uh, can you? Uh, how did the last one go? I, I know you set all these kind of expectations. I heard nothing but good things. Um, for for you, is it you know was it well worth it? Uh, you know, and the mingling. I, I want to hear about that. Just how the fighters afterwards were able to mix with the crowd. Uh, just kind of give us a brief recap of what it was like. You know, it, it was really a unique situation. That's where. We're trying to bring to uh, boxing. You know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of great shows out there, uh, even on a smaller level. Um, you know, we we chose to go into the one of the Hollywood uh, night spots, um, 
you know, but it's a, it's a different atmosphere. It's very intimate. The fans are like right on top of the action, very close to the ring. Um, and then after the fights, we cleared off the chairs from the dance floor. And then, uh, you know, the Takati girls were there and the fighters were mingling with, uh, with the fans. And, um, yeah, it was cool. It was a, it was a great, it was a great atmosphere. And, um, you know, celebrities showed up, uh, Victor Cruz was there. Uh, Yasmin Puig was there. Your man, uh, Shannon Briggs, uh, he, nice. he stopped by even, uh, Vonis before. You know, there were discussions about him fighting uh, Triple G. So it was uh, it was a cool night. Uh, Murat Gossiev was there to support uh, support uh, Abel Sanchez. He's the uh, unified uh, cruiserweight champion. So you know, it was a it was yeah. it was a little bit of everything and a very intimate atmosphere. People get to sit uh, you know first second row who, ne- who normally would never you know be you know come that close to, to the ring. And it's uh, it was a great night of boxing. That that is a nice venue because I remember, um, God, it was back. I want to say back in like 2012, where there was the last fight there with um, what was the name of uh, Andre Ward? there. Yeah, no, no, no. It was even before that. Remember, um, Donnell Livingston. He did his pro debut there, and 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 Von Matarosian was there as well. You know, and I remember how close and 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 personal it was at that venue that we both really liked it there Gable I don't know if you remember that we were both there and uh, oh, yeah. we were covering the fight so yeah I mean that is a great place so how, I mean how did that come about though Tom like how did you figure okay this is this is the spot that's gonna you know uh, be this personal with fans and fans are gonna be attracted and they were gonna feel like hey I'm I'm, I'm part of the I'm part of this movie I'm part of the family here it's really, uh, they're so close to the action, it's really, they become part of the event. Uh, you know, we had uh, Cynthia Conte there uh, hosting hosting the night, uh, walking through the crowd, you know, talking to the fans, and, uh, you know, it just, uh, it, it's a, it's just a very intimate atmosphere with uh, high-end uh, LED lighting, so you definitely have that uh, Hollywood nightclub feel to it, Um but uh, it's a historic building. It's built in 1926. Uh, Jerry Lewis uh, had a long run there where he did his radio show out of the Avalon uh, Hollywood. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, really uh, all the, the shows that I've been to, I've never really had that uh, type of atmosphere uh, before. And then the bonus of the people that want to stay later, and it turns into a nightclub. The DJ stays there, keeps, keeps playing the music. And like I said, the Takati girls, uh, stay there, and uh, and the fighters are hanging out with it. You know, when when's, when do you see the fighters mingling with the fans after the fight, and the fans can talk to, you know, the fighters on the fight win and that type of thing to get autographs, get, you know, take photos with the fighters. It's uh, it was uh, it was a cool, uh, it was just a really cool atmosphere there. Does part of this come out of? I mean, you've been uh, kind of bringing the LA market back to life in a sense. Um, you know, doing things at the at the forum, the the Superfly twos or the Super series, uh, you know, there's really excited fans and, and about a weight class that doesn't get a lot of uh, over the years. Um, as part of it, I, I've noticed also that you stop by the the tailgates. You know, uh, Sal uh, <laughs> throws a you know throws a mean tailgate is what I yeah, understand. And you really like you yeah. like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, is it, is like it part of this come out of that? Yeah, you know, in in a sense, it did. Um, you know, I just uh, you know the most important uh, part of the, the sport of boxing besides the boxers are the fans that support 
uh, the boxers and support the sport. So, you know, the the hardcore fans that come out and they do the tailgate and they come out early and, you know, I just wanted to show some appreciation. That was at the uh, Superfly 2 show at the Forum. And uh, now I think it's going to become a regular thing because uh, when uh, when they had the tailgate at the um, at the StubHub Center, uh, you know, I stopped by there. And, you know, I, I appreciate the recognition, Gabe, of, uh, you know, I, I grew up here in L.A. And, um, you know, we've set now the three highest gates at the StubHub Center. Uh, Triple G sold out the Forum twice hmm. uh, Superfly 2 did very well at the forum um, you know we started ironically enough uh, we started our fir- very first show that we did with uh, at, that I did as a promoter with K2 Promotions was uh, Vitaly Klitschko against Corey Sanders at the Staples Center um, you know for the heavyweight championship of the world on HBO international TV and that was uh, really a trial by fire as the very first promotion that that I was ever involved with as a uh, as a promoter so we definitely like to support the LA market. Um, we think that you know there's a great fan base here, and it's a great destination for uh, for people to fly into LA, especially at this time of the year. Um, you can't beat the weather, and uh, Cinco de Mayo weekend was uh, was a big boxing weekend uh, here in LA. Let me let me ask you this because obviously you listen to the fans, and like Gabriel just said right now, that you, you kind of revamp the LA scene a bit. How much how much do you feel is I mean, how much pressure is to continue that? Because even with the Cinco de Mayo date, it, 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 it came out successful. So how much pressure does it, is it on you that you have to continue this, this road of always showing out every event? Is it, is it to you, does it feel like a, a major gamble every time that you have to strategically sit there and look at everything before you say, okay, let's make it move and let's make it happen? Well, you know, we don't do that many shows. Uh, I pride myself on, uh, you know, giving quality, uh, quality shows and value to the fans. Uh, every time we plan something out, whether it's a Superfly series, you know, which really was a spinoff of the success of Chocotito, uh, Roman Gonzalez, um, you know, I think Superfly 1 and Superfly 2 had some of the best matchups uh, that I've ever seen on a boxing a boxing show, you know, Superfly 2 had so many great fights that uh, even Brian Beloria was a triple header on HBO, and Brian Beloria's world title fight, you know, was, wasn't on HBO, but it was on the international uh, broadcast and on the stream, so, um, you know, it, the secret to boxing is just good matchups, uh, that's what the Absolutely. fans will respond to, and even on the undercard, even on the, uh, you know, the Cinco de Mayo show, we had... Uh, uh, you know, the great thing about working with Abel Sanchez is uh, he doesn't baby his fighters. He knows the fighters have to give entertainment to the fans and has to have mm-hmm. to be in in uh, competitive fights. He had Ruslan Medeev, who was eleven and zero, fighting Jesus um, Perez from Mexico, who was twenty one. You know, on paper, you know, he was the underdog, and and it was a great right. fight. It went uh, went ten rounds, very competitive, and those are the type of fights that the uh, Hollywood fight nights, you know, the very first fight of the night was, was probably the best fight. Um, you know, and usually, you know, you see a lot of mismatches, the first two, three, four fights, and then you finally start getting into competitive fights. But, um, you know, it, I just think uh, the fans respond to competitive matches, and, um, you know, that's what we were able to, to put together. Um, you know, some, some promoters that do a lot more dates, you know, they don't have the luxury. They have to, you know, keep cranking out volume, and, a lot of times they don't have the same 
We'll, we'll talk about Al Heyman right now. We'll talk about Al Heyman and all those dates and all that, Tom. But, you know, the Superfly thing, I've said this on Twitter. I was like, if, if this is by far the best series in HBO or any reality series out there, I love the, I love the Superfly. Uh, always entertaining. What you brought, it's, it's pure boxing, and you're, you're absolutely right. That's what, that's what fans want. That kind of a series can compete with the W World Series right now that everybody's raving about. Am I, am I wrong about that? I mean, if you, if you wanted to make another Superfly series and move it up in weight and make it a, a super welterweight series, you could do that, right? Yeah, theoretically you can. The, 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 the reason why Superfly has uh, been so successful is the guys are willing to fight each other. Um, you know, when you get into the bigger divisions, middleweight, light heavyweight, heavyweight especially, you know, the fighters don't want to take risks, or if they do take a risk, I mean, with Triple G, you know, guys getting in the ring with them, you know, want retirement money. You know, they, they just negotiate like, you know, their their career is going to be over. So, you know, the good thing about the Super the, the Superfly series and really starting with uh, Chocolatito uh, Gonzalez, I can't give him enough praise, is that, uh, uh, you know, they're willing to fight each other. Um, and, you know, 90% of the time, you'll have a much better fight at those smaller divisions than you will with, uh, you know, welterweights, middleweights, or, you know, or you know, especially heavyweights who sometimes aren't known for the most exciting, exciting fights out there. So it, it really works well. And the economics, you know, most of the time, you know, the, those fights have been held in Mexico, in Japan, you know, in Asia, Thailand. So the economics for HBO worked well. And, um, you know, with uh, Chocotito leading the charge and now with uh, Sister Kit, you know, having uh, – uh, beaten him, uh, he's kind of taken over the mantle as the champion, and then we saw a tremendous fight. You know, really, I think one of the leading contenders for fight of the year with uh, uh, Estrada versus uh, Sisterkat. So, um, you know, there was some. You know, Royal had a great performance against Quadras. Uh, we saw Donnie Nietzsche in a great performance. So, you know, all these guys, uh, you know, understand the value of being on HBO because they've really been, uh, you know, hidden from the mainstream uh, television here, especially in the States. You know, I, I look back where, uh, you know, Chocotito wasn't that long ago, I think it was five years ago, where Chocotito was the undercard to Brian Baloria, uh, where Chocotito fought, uh, he fought on the undercard, and uh, uh, he, in fact, he fought uh, Algayo Estrada. He fought... Uh, uh, Estrada and then Valoria had fought as the main event, and so and that wasn't really on uh, any uh, you know big uh, television outlet that was here in Los Angeles. And you know you've seen how far you know uh, that division has come. Uh, you know top rank now. I think they they kind of took a note out of uh, you know my promotional book, and they have uh, two 115 um, pound fights on the same night, and those are great matchups uh, as well. So you know I think that division really. How is it that you saw this? I mean, every fight fan that is a hardcore boxing fan, we understood that the lower lower weight divisions always bring it. There's always a sure. lot of action. There was great matches. Yep. How is it that the networks and other promoters and other managers didn't see this, and you're the only one to sit back in the room and go, <laughs> hey, there's great matches here. Why are we not doing this? Well, uh, you know, I have an appreciation uh, just traveling around, you know, seeing what's popular in Europe, what's popular down in Mexico, um, what's popular in Asia. And, uh, you know, really we were looking for, um, 
dance partner with uh, Triple G when he was headlining uh, the HBO. I was talking to Peter Nelson and I was saying, you know, who can we, who can we match up as a co-feature to really complement what Triple G brings as the main event? And uh, you know, his first reaction as well, you know, Falcatito has really been making a lot of noise, just hasn't gotten the explosion. And um, you know, that's when uh, it worked out really well. His, his uh, HBO debut was at the Forum when he had a great uh, second round knockout. Uh, very impressive. Uh, you know, Chocolatito was, uh, you know, was considered one of the, you know, best pound for pound, if not the best pound for pound last year or last couple of years. And, uh, you know, he had a lot of great wins uh, before he got on HBO. Uh, you know, he started out at what, 105, 108, 112. Right. And, uh, you know, but until he got onto HBO, that's when he really, his career really took off. And, um, you know, financially, you know, he's made more money in that super flyweight division really than any anyone since, uh, if you remember that great matchup with uh, Chiquita Gonzalez and Michael Carbajal. So, you know, I didn't, it wasn't that I invented yeah. that, that uh, right, right. you know, that, but uh, certainly picked up on it and the fans reacted to it. And, and like I said, it, it fit in the economics where we could put in, you know, three great fights as a triple header. And, uh, you know, fans uh, definitely responded to it. Uh, you know, switching gears, um, now that the, the business of, of May 5th, and congratulations, you guys did great ratings and, and very smart to, to stick to your guns and, and then to move it to, you know, the, the StubHub Center. Like, it just, you know, um, as somebody joked, I, I don't know who it was on Twitter, you guys made uh, lemonade out of clenbuterol. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I gave, I, gave them, I gave them two, you gave... two little tickets to the event. And uh, I'll tell you, that uh, really was <laughs> great. Uh, has to be one of the most difficult promotions I've ever been involved in because so many things changed. I thought one one day everything was looking fine. We're going in one direction, and then you know in the afternoon we were taking two step back, two steps backwards. Whether it was the opponent, whether it was HBO, whether it was the venue, whether you know this whole situation with the IPF, you know, was handcuffing us. You know, it just uh, it was so many challenges. But uh, Triple G wanted to to move forward, and you know I caught some of the discussion that you had mentioned. You guys were talking about before and. You know, I know, uh, you know, Bonas was moving up uh, from 154, but don't forget, you know, he had already been in training uh, to fight Seleski. Seleski moved up from 154 to fight Danny Jacobs, and it didn't seem like, uh, you know, he got any criticism for moving up. But uh, Bonas was actually the favorite uh, to beat Seleski um, because of his experience, because of all the world-class fighters that he was in. And so, you know, under the circumstances, we just really didn't have, uh, when Spike O'Sullivan, you know, at the end uh, turned down, um, you know, the opportunity to, to, to fight Triple G it was really bonus. was local here in L.A. He did a tremendous job uh, participating in the promotion, which a lot of fighters don't, you know, always do. And, um, yeah. you know, just uh, I that, that seemed to be... I never had a problem with that fight. You know, if anything, I said that, you know, Monterosian was a very durable guy. Um, my point when I was, before you had came out, was I was going to say was like about Ali. He was a champion, and people saying that Golden Boy set him up. I'm like, oh, that's kind of hard to swallow because if you're a champion, you should be ready for anybody regardless, you know. And yeah. Matarosian, uh, um, you know, if you're going to say that, then I guess you could say the same thing about Matarosian. He was set up. But in my opinion, I don't think any fighter is set up. If you're ready to go and you sign on the fight, then you're ready to go. It, 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 that's I mean, if you the way saw... it goes. Look, if you saw the way Vonis came out in the first round and the way he was, oh, yeah. he had like a three punch combination on on Gennady, as uh, he was he was ready to fight again. He wanted to fight, you know. The fact that Gennady stopped him in two rounds, I mean, Gennady stopped a lot of guys early, so 
you know, that's certainly no. Uh, oh, he definitely uh, showed up. Say. He showed up to win. You know, and, yeah. and I, I think when that we when we had talked about our prediction here was that if one thing we knew that Monterosian was gonna do was show up to fight. That's something sure. that kid never doesn't do. He shows up to fight. He was very. He was very hungry. He uh, was very frustrated because a couple of fights fell out. Uh, you know, the last being the Slasky fight, which he was, uh, you know, in his training camp. I know, you know, his trainer, Edmund, very well. He trains over there in the Glendale Fight Club. And, um, you know, he was hungry. Don King uh, was easy to make the deal with because he knew this was a huge opportunity uh, for Vonis. And this was one of those could have easily been a pitfall for Triple G, you know, because of everything that was going on with Canelo and then the changing the venue from Vegas to L.A. and, and, uh, you know, he could have easily gotten caught up in all that and been distracted and overlooked Vonis, um, with all the talk about, a, you know, a potential rematch with, with Canelo. And, uh, you know, I mean, he came out. How was important and, and, was it for you? Oh, sorry. Um, no, I, how important was it you to keep that date of May 5th, just, you know, in terms of, of Gennady's timeline of training, but also just that built-in, you know, date that everybody Well, you know, Gennady made it clear he wanted to fight May 5. You know, a lot of people who are, you know, familiar with boxing is once you start a training camp, then you stop, then you start again, it really messes up your whole rhythm. And, uh, you know, he didn't want to stop. You know, a lot of people are saying, why don't you push it back to June or July? And then, uh, you know, then you have a full-blown promotion. But then, you know, he definitely wants to fight again in September. And, you know, you never know what's going to happen in the sport of boxing. A lot of people were even uh, recommending against taking any risks, uh, what if he breaks his hand? What if he gets cut? What if he, you know, what if he looks bad? You know, um, then then it could affect uh, negotiations for a future fight. And uh, Gennady, you know, didn't he? He wanted to stay active. Uh, you know, he's if he's fighting on his schedule, he'll fight three or four times a year. You know, when it gets into mandatories like we have with Danny Jacobs, or when it gets into, you know, lengthier negotiations like we have with Tello, that's when he, you know, kind of hit 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 the skids, and and he's. He's down to two fights a year, but uh, you know he, that's why he didn't want to postpone this any longer than than May five. And he really gave me um, the instruction, you know, at all costs. You know, we took a major pay cut from HBO. Um, hmm. he, he just wanted to fight. You know, he wanted to fight, wanted to get in the ring. The the fans, the Triple G fans, were were ready to see him back in the ring. And I think we saw him back to his old form. You know, he he was really frustrated with the Canelo situation and. You know, unfortunately, I think he took a lot of that out on on uh, on Vonis, But you know, again, it's no knock yeah. on uh, Vonis because I think uh, Vonis, the way you know he was uh, prepared and and uh, the way he fought, I think uh, you know you you can't count him out, especially you know whether he's at 150 or 160, whatever he decides to fight. Uh, I think Vonis is definitely uh, an all-out uh, competitor. What is what is next for him? We've got uh, you put a petition and and uh, Ludabella, I believe, put in a petition. Uh, regarding the mandatory Derevichenko and the IBF, uh, but you've got that September date. And, and also, what are your thoughts on Canelo, you know, uh, making good on his word or Oscar's word about, you know, give or take a week uh, of getting into a testing program with VADA that, that's year-round? Uh, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily the CBP. It, it sounds like it's going to be a little more intense, uh, this 365 program. Uh, what are your thoughts there and, and uh, with Triple G? Well, definitely, I think that's the uh, you know you step in the right direction. You know, uh, with Canelo, uh, you know when when there are you know questions or positive tests, or whatever it was, you know you, you would think that uh, he would do whatever he could to to clear his name, and you know this is definitely a step in the, in the right direction. Um, 
you know, Abel's told me that, uh, you know, that would be uh, a cornerstone in the negotiation is that, uh, you know, Gennady has never failed a test and, and Abel's always, you know, has insisted on, on these uh, tests just because of his punching power, just so there wouldn't be any questions. So uh, Gennady tested all the way through to the, to the May 5 fight, and now uh, we're in the process of enrolling him again, um, you know, to, to continue testing uh, through to his next fight. So there's there's no questions of, of uh, you know, Gabe, I know you're familiar with uh, that, where, you know, when people are off for a long time or, you know, that, uh, you know, the, the uh, questions can be what do they do before, the testing actually starts. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, you know, Gennady and Abel both uh, strongly believe in a level playing field and a, a clean sport um, for boxing. And, and uh, uh, you know, that's the next step. But uh, definitely uh, that's one less hurdle to address um, in the discussions with yeah. the Golden Boy uh, as the testing. So uh, we were um, – we, we definitely uh, welcomed that news, you know, when there was – you know, some uh, quotes out there that uh, Canelo wouldn't start testing until the contract is signed, you know, then that was a little bit uh, disappointing, but we're glad that he's enrolled. And and so, you know, there shouldn't be any distractions. You know, if you're promoting a fight, you should be promoting uh, the two guys fighting each other, not over accusations or, you know, question marks swirling around the training or, you know, any unfair advantages. And I think that takes, you know, that element out of the whole, uh, the whole situation for this next negotiation. Tom, what do you what do you think of when fans are saying that you guys don't need Canelo anymore? Um, you have BJ Saunders, you can go off and, and 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 fight them. Do you guys feel do you still need Canelo? I mean, is that a fight that you guys are very much more interested in and it's up in the upfront of your guys' agenda at this moment? You know what? Honestly, I think. Uh... Both guys need each other. Um, the success of the first promotion was uh, certainly the highest-grossing event. Um, uh, that uh, you know, at least uh, financially, uh, both guys made their biggest paydays fighting each other. We set the record for the third highest uh, gate in boxing history. Um, you know, we did well on on the pay-per-view, and I think with everything that's gone on, all the controversy now <laughs> that's gone on with this rematch. Um, you know, I think Gennady was frustrated with the situation with Canelo and, and he voiced, uh, you know, he, he was pretty outspoken at one point and, uh, and Canelo, I think he took offense to that and he fired back on social media. So, you know, whatever happened in the first fight, the first promotion, uh, you know, I would say if the rematch happens in September, the gloves are off and, you know, these guys uh, had a mutual respect for each other because they trained together up at uh, the summit and they, they actually sparred together. But now I think this has become, you know, somewhat of a grudge match where I think Canelo has to prove, uh, you know, whatever happened in the first fight wasn't a fluke for him, especially now with this extended uh, testing period. And and uh, Gennady wants to prove that he's still the best uh, middleweight uh, champion in the world, if not, you know, one of the best fighters in the sport of boxing on a pound-for-pound level. So uh, both guys have a lot to prove. Uh, you know, we thought that uh, Gennady won the first fight. You know, we agreed with HBO with Harold Letterman you know, eight rounds to four, you know, some, some fighter, some people had it closer than that, but, uh, you know, I really don't see, you know, having uh, Canelo uh, winning the fight, but, you know, that's the whole, there was a lot of controversy of the scoring and, and I think Gennady uh, knows he can do better in the second fight. And, and I'm sure Canelo thinks, you know, he can do better going 12 rounds with triple G. So isn't, uh, right. isn't it? So that's, definitely, 
that's definitely a fight that he still is his eyes are on. Like he wants that fight regardless of anything else. He would like to fight for sure. Uh, again, I think it's uh, definitely the biggest fight in the sport of boxing, and it's the biggest fight for for both guys. So it makes sense. You know, you you have some fights. You know, like when you had the rematch with Warden Kovalev, it just seemed like that lost a lot of momentum uh, going into the rematch. And this. You know, if the rematch happens, it's, it's, it just seems like the momentum is taking off. It was a very successful uh, mm-hmm. promotion, uh, you know, the first time around. And I think the rematch is going to be even more successful. You know, with that being said, you know, certainly there's there's uh, other options out there for, for Gennady. And, you know, getting Billy Joe Saunders there to, to unify all the titles. Uh, you know, we've tried that over the last couple of years. And for one reason or another, it hasn't, uh, hasn't materialized. Um, you know, there's been some big financial demands on his side to get in the ring with Triple G, but, um, you know, and then there's other, there's certainly other options uh, out there uh, as well, but none as big as, uh, as the, as the rematch with, uh, with Canelo. So I think that's the first the, priority. The fight with the Japanese middleweight wouldn't be as big, you don't think? Oh, Murata is a great fighter. Uh, you got to take his, your head off to him. Uh, you know, uh, Mr. Honda is doing the right thing over there. He's selling out the, the large arenas is, is getting monster ratings on, on uh, Japanese uh, television over there. Uh, and I think that's a great fight for Triple G as well to go to uh, Tokyo. The great thing about Gennady, he doesn't care where, where he fights. In fact, when we made the first fight, you know, he does, He said, I don't care where the fight is, just get Canelo in the ring and, uh, and um, you know, then he'll be happy. And, and that's, what, that's what we wound up doing. You know, nobody expected... Uh, you know, there were some pretty peculiar scores uh, yeah. in the first fight. First fight, but um, uh, you know, Gennady has no problem ring. going to. to yeah, yeah. I don't know if he's happy. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, that was that was disappointing. I mean, that that kind of cast a shadow over the whole yeah. promotion, which I thought went well. Uh, you know, whenever you have a co-promotion, you know, Gennady has you know the titles. Canelo had the more proven track record on pay-per-view, so. You know, both guys brought a lot of value with them to the ring, and I, I think their fan bases really complemented each other. Uh, Canelo has a proven fan base, and, and Gennady has a fan base that flies in from all all parts of the world, whether it's Australia, whether it's Kazakhstan, whether it's Europe. You know, they fly in from the East Coast, where he's you know sold out the Madison Square Garden. Uh, you know, a few times it's just uh, uh, you know he's got a big international fan base, as does Canelo. So I think they just complement each other, but. You know, going back to Murata, I think that's a that's a huge fight. And, and Gennady says, you know, it's not like, you know, some champions only fight in one city. You know, there's a lot of fighters that come to mind who would only fight in, in Las Vegas. And if you want to fight them, you have to go to Las Vegas. And there's not, yeah. certainly nothing against Las Vegas, but, you know, Gennady's a world champion. And, and he wants to bring back, or he has brought back the definition of a world champion. When he went to China, you know, for a convention, you know, there was a lot of fans out there, you know, lined up. Uh, it kind of surprised me that uh, they were lined up. They recognized him because all his fights are shown on CCTV in China. And, you know, we went to Mexico and Azteca Stadium, and there were you know, 90,000 people there, and they were all applauding for Triple G wow. being on the center of the field. I mean, it's just it's one of the rare things that Triple G does is that, uh, you know, he's just kind of like that international man, <laughs> man of mystery. We're fighting in Monte Carlo or at the O2 Arena in we fought Cal Brook, and uh, that sold out in 11 minutes. You know, so going to, yeah. to the Tokyo Dome and fighting Murata certainly would be a, a huge, uh, huge uh, opportunity as well. I'm curious. You know, he's been in the clean boxing program uh, for quite a while now. I think over a year, right? And 
Uh, how many times do they test him in between fights, like when he's doing all the traveling? Because he's got to turn in his whereabouts for him and let everybody know where he's going to be. Yeah, we definitely have to uh, make uh, them aware of uh, where where he's going to be. You know, with Gennady's uh, travel schedule, it's it's not easy sometimes. But uh, you know, typically with the uh, with the VADA testing, that's much more uh, consistent. You know, uh, and then uh, you know of of the testing, but. Uh, you know, as long as we give them uh, uh, an indication of where he's going to be, then you know, usually, uh, you know, there's no there's no issues with his uh, with his travel schedule. You know, sometimes he'll get called on short notice for an appearance. You know, he went uh, he made an appearance in Sochi uh, to support. Uh, it was actually the uh, official ambassador for that event when uh, Garcia fought Dordicos. Um Another great fight, another uh, you know candidate for fight of the year this year. And, and so uh, that was short notice, and we went over there, and he was there for like three, four days. And you can imagine, you know, whether it's Russia or Kazakhstan, or you know, he gets a huge, uh, huge uh, reaction over there as well with the media and the fans. So um, I think Gennady is a great ambassador for the sport of boxing. He brings excitement in the ring, and he has a great character outside the ring. And uh, you know, he's very humble, very respectful um, of you know the sport of his opponents. And, yeah, um, I, I think he's, he's, an he's brought a lot of new fans. Yep. Uh, Steve Kim tweeted out, uh, it was like last week or something, that, uh, or a few days ago, that uh, that he talked to you and that you guys were interested in continuing testing after the, the May 5th fight, like into this fight. How is that process yeah. coming along? It's good. I, I contacted uh, Dr. Goodman uh, from BADA uh, last week and, uh, you know, just to line up the... Uh, uh, the testing process, and uh, we're, it looks like we're going to finalize that probably either uh, uh, probably by tomorrow, by Friday, and then you know that'll just start to, uh, to continuing the process. Um, you know, one of the downsides of uh, you know, I mean, ideally in a perfect world, you know, every boxer, whether they're fighting for a world championship or you know, in a, in a smaller yeah. fight, you know, would be testing. Uh, you know, unfortunately, the economics don't always support that and uh, you know it isn't a, uh, it's not an inexpensive uh, process but when you're at that level where Canelo is or Triple G is and you want to ensure a level playing field you know I think the uh, you know at least Gennady is, is happy to, to bear that expense in order to uh, prove that he's uh, you know there's nothing uh, you know it's just a lot of hard work up there in, uh, in Big Bear. I appreciate it that, that you guys do this you know, you know um, I, I get calls and yeah. and so many people make excuses and the number one is always the money and you guys, you guys have been doing it, you know, when it, you know, you don't have to do it for those fights now that you're, you know, in the WBC and all that and representing them. Sure. But you know, there's three other sanctioning bodies and a lot of guys are playing that game. So I, you know, uh, I, I just, I really appreciate yeah. that you guys are care about this issue. No, I, I think that also goes along with, uh, you know, what I mentioned as far as being an investor and also a role model and if, if if he can do it, if Canelo can do it, then uh, why shouldn't uh, the other fighters uh, uh, do it? Especially when they when they do the reach that level. Um, you know, the unfortunate part would be, you know, someone who's not always uh, subjected to testing rises to a certain level, you know, beating guys, and then you know, if they do get into the WC ratings or you know whatever it is, or enroll in the clean boxing program, then you know, if their performances start to fall off uh, because of that, I don't know, but. Uh, uh, it, it's something that I've always felt strongly about. Abel Sanchez, I know, uh, wants no 
you know, no doubts up there. You know, Marat Gassiev is a big puncher. He knocked Dordikos out of the ring. Um, you know, he, he just seems to, whatever he does up there in Big Bear, you know, with the uh, high altitude and, the training <laughs> and all the hard work, uh, you know, his guys really come to fight. And, uh, you know, that's why he's always been a strong believer in uh, in the testing uh, as well. Oh, yeah. I yeah, got, yeah. I, only have, I have one one last question for you, Tom, before we let you go. You know, I, I follow you on Twitter and Instagram, and um, just like everybody else, we're all human, and we, we sometimes allow certain things to kind of, you know, push our buttons. And when, when you had media saying that, you were, that your fighter's ducking somebody, that obviously affected you, that you felt like you had to address it. When something like that happens, how do you, how do you try to keep that away from your fighter? Because obviously you don't want your fighter to lose focus. Does, does Triple G, is he aware that he was being called a ducker because he was going to face Matarosian instead of uh, uh, Daryl Menchenko? You know, uh, I try not to get on Twitter once. once there are too many people. Uh, you know, I, it's probably pretty counterproductive, uh, yeah. especially when you have someone with, uh, you know, just saying, you know, kind of wacky things out there. Uh, not in this particular situation, but, you know, wacky things. And then, you know, just uh, a lot of times they're just trying to get under your skin or whatever it is. So a lot of times I don't I don't uh, respond. But in this particular situation where, uh, you know, he's a credible uh, journalist. And, uh, in fact, I've done many interviews with him before. And, and he just, for whatever reason, took a position that, uh, you know, Gennady is ducking uh, Devranchenko and, you know, there's there's a lot of champions out there with with uh, with guys guys who haven't fought competitive fights uh, in a long time. But when Triple G gets in the ring with uh, Danny Jacobs, and he gets in the ring with Canelo, arguably the two best guys in the division, I don't know how you then go to you know he becomes uh, ducking uh, somebody in in this extreme circumstance. I've never been involved in a promotion where so many things have changed. And uh, we literally had two and a half weeks to promote the fight. You know, forget about negotiating for a fight. Forget about, you know, you have a mandatory position. If you can't agree on uh, on the amounts or, you know, it's not just a, the purse. I mean, there's so many things that go into a, a fight like this with a unified champion with Triple G with t- TV rights and ticket sales and sponsorships and, you know, a- everything that's involved. And we literally had probably three days uh, to finalize the fight at the end with uh, – and $30 million on the line, too, <laughs> right? You know, Lou DeBella yeah. was on with us, and, and he even said, hey, I don't, I don't blame them not, you know, even looking at that fight. He said that he respected the fact there was even no, there was no uh, um, BS, you know, there was, no, there was nothing thrown out there uh, towards him. So I'll go back to my question. It does, was Triple G aware of this? Like, has he heard about this uh, uh, being called a ducker by, by fans? And if he has, how does he feel about it? Well, I think that's just uh, maybe uh, a small segment. <laughs> it's not the majority uh, by any stretch. Yeah. If you ask anyone, right. you know, would you rather see Triple G fight Canelo or would you rather see him fight Devranchenko? Uh, I think 99% outside of, you know, his manager and his trainer and, you know, his promoter are going to say uh, the fans want to see uh, him fight Canelo but, or, or Murata or whoever. So, you know, but uh, at the same time, when you're a unified champion, there are uh, rules and regulations you have to follow and obligations. And, you know, so far in Triple G's career, uh, he's followed everything. In fact, uh, sometimes to his detriment, you know, he followed the IBF rules when he fought Danny Jacobs. And, 
And uh, that was a bizarre weigh-in where it was 9 o'clock in the morning on Friday because the commission had a fight that night, uh, top rank. Uh, had uh, Michael Conlon making his debut, and so they wanted to have an early weigh-in. And then, uh, you know, Triple G on Saturday morning, get, you know, wakes up, follows the rules, does his IVF second-day weigh-in, and it seemed like a strategic plan for uh, for the Jacobs side uh, not to do this uh, the weigh-in and uh, not to fight for the IVF title. But, you know, that that was an unfair playing field. But, uh, you know, Gennady's always followed the rules and, and recognized them. And, and uh, sometimes the rules don't always... Uh, you know, go along with what uh, some people might think is the best course, you know, for someone's career. So that's where it comes, you know, in, into uh, strategic planning. And, you know, for, for what I've been involved with, with Latimer, had multiple titles uh, over, you know, what was it, a 10-run stretch, 10-year run as a heavyweight champion. So, you know, you got to try to make the best out of uh, uh, the situation. And, uh, you know, if, if the fight with Canelo happens, you know, that's great. Uh, you know, nobody can tell me that uh, uh, Gennady Golovkin, who's one of the hardest-punching boxers and, uh, you know, considered the top of sport, is afraid to get in the ring with anybody. So, you know, when that was put out there on social media, it just uh, didn't didn't make any sense. That narrative didn't make any sense. You have to take the, into consideration uh, the circumstances that we were under. You're going from the biggest fight in boxing in Las Vegas on HBO pay-per-view to just trying to salvage a date and then trying to squeeze in a mandatory negotiation at the same time just didn't, uh, didn't make any sense under those circumstances. Well, I'm not going to argue about that. I mean, you obviously you're in the position where you're at because you know what you're talking about. A uh, guy that's brought Triple G into the scene for fans to fall in love with and want to watch to the Superfly series. And now with the women's boxing, congratulations. I mean, you put a lot of work behind that. It's been, it's been, some, it's been a, a journey, I would have to say. Um, congratulations. I appreciate that. And also, yeah, I mean, don't want to overlook uh, what we accomplished with Cecilia Breakus. Um, you know, HBO having 45 years uh, in the boxing business and never having a female fight uh, televised. Um uh, to break that barrier. Uh, you know, Cecilia, as I said, at the press conference, she's the only boxer in the sport of boxing. She has one more title than that Triple G has. So she's the only undisputed boxer uh, in boxing right now, male or female. And uh, if anyone, you know, gets that opportunity or got that opportunity, it was, it was great to see uh, Cecilia get it. Uh, you know, can't take 100% of the credit because we had uh, really Chocolatito uh, slated as the co-feature on the Triple G fight. Uh, he unfortunately had some... You know, there was some political uh, unrest uh, down in Nicaragua, and he's never had an issue getting a visa before. And and uh, the date that they gave him, because the American consulate was having issues down there, that it was uh, he actually passed the May 5th date. So his manager, you know, sent an email to myself and Mr. Honda, just said, you know, we can't get the visa in time. And that's really what opened up the door for HBO then to agree to put uh, Cecilia uh, Breakfast uh, on the show and. And uh, I think she did a tremendous job. I mean, she, she fought a very tough girl. Uh, in fact, a girl coming down in two divisions, not just one division, coming down from, you know, fighting at 160 to uh, fighting at 147. And uh, uh, they both put on a great a great performance. Uh, Kaylee Reese actually dropped us to say the first time in her career. And, uh, you know, it was an exciting fight. I think it was, it was an historic occasion for, uh, women's boxing and you know just like we were talking about Absolutely. before you know with Chocotito yep. and the super flyweights uh, you know this might open up the doors uh, or the opportunities for female f- 
boxing and, you know, financially and, and from the exposure side that, uh, you know, if there's, if there's more opportunities, you'll see more female boxers, uh, in the sport of boxing, which then leads to better and more competitive fights. And, um, you know, so that was, uh, that was exciting to be involved with that uh, that fight as well. Right, so. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tom, I want to thank you again for coming on with us. we got to bring on our next guest here on Leaving the Ring. Um, if you're able by any chance to bring more boxing, uh, female boxing at HBO, I'd love to see Kenya and Enriquez get on there, man. I mean, she's a, she's a huge puncher, an exciting fighter. But I don't want to take on too much more time because we do have our other guests. I just want to thank you again for coming on the show with us. No, I appreciate that. I agree with you on Kenya. She was actually on one of our shows at the, at the Stub Up Center before. So, she was. Yeah, uh, I remember that. Uh, on, on the radar screen, and she's exciting, and, and she would also be deserving on getting that mainstream exposure. So appreciate you guys having me on. Always good to talk boxing. Look yeah, forward man. To, to, to talking to you again. All right, man. Thank you again. Good luck with the show. Okay. Take care, Tom. All right. Okay, thank you. Tom Laffer here on Leaving the Ring. If you missed it, don't worry about it. It will replay later on tonight. Uh, Gabriel, want to bring on our next guest here? Uh, working it out right now. You know, I hope I didn't miss anything. I hope I didn't miss any questions that I think that needed to be answered by Tom Laffer um, here on Leaving the Ring. Um, definitely, um, I know he answered a lot of the stuff that I wanted to ask him. I know later on, watch, I'm going to go like, oh, man, I should have asked him this or, you know, we should have talked about this. But, you know, pressing for time over here. I just had a hot chili right now. So it's burning the crap out of my, my mouth that my wife brought me. She brought me this um, <laughs> great Vietnamese sandwich doing, that we man? love that we go to. Dude, I mean, it's just a phenomenal Vietnamese sandwich that, that she brings. And, and they always layered it with, like, these jalapenos in it. And you can't even see because it's, like, hidden in the uh, cilantro. Huh, and, uh, dude, whew. I just I'm sweating like a dog over here. <laughs> I've been uh, I've been all about making salsa the last two years. Joe's calling in here in a minute. Uh, okay. And because I couldn't find hot salsa or like hot enough salsa in San Francisco, uh, just like everywhere I went, you know, go to the Granite, you know, super supermarket or whatever, and and uh, just couldn't find it. So I started making it myself. But uh, I traveled back to the south a few months back, and uh, a buddy there gave me some that his dad makes. And uh, you know, when a dude from the south tells you these chilies are hot, uh, believe him. Oh yeah, my my head is oh, yeah. absolutely on fire. Oh, we got Joe on the line here. Uh, we pull him in, uh, Mister. You better fucking get inside on him now himself. Uh, legendary boxing trainer Joe Goosen joins us now on the line. <laughs> Joe, how are you? Um, good, good, Gabe. Unfortunately, you got that quote correct. <laughs> First off, I want to know, Joe. What are you? Hold, hold on, before we even conduct conduct the interview, Joe. What uh, what color is your shirt that you're wearing today? Well, obviously, it's a flamingo print with uh, plenty of. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So you're not disappointed, no. uh, and you are a fashion no. that I keep trying to reach. As a matter of fact, starting to you know branch out from just you know colors beyond black. Uh, how you been, man? It's been a minute. No, oh, yeah, well, you know, I'm not hard to find. I mean, you know, Gabriel, yeah, or Gabe, I'm speaking of Gabe now, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'm not hard to find, Gabe. You know, I'm. Uh, you know where I am six days a week. Well, the problem at is the, I'm uh, in San Francisco. Now. At, the, at the golf course. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you so you uh, 
you've hooked up with Amir Khan here, and I, you know, I moved. Uh, geez, it's been it's almost six years now uh, since I lived in Los Angeles, or five years, six years. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, you know, and 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 kind of having been stopping by the gym to to talk to you, I still follow your advice. Mm-hmm. Hit the, the big heavy bag with the small gloves, but. Um, how did that come uh, out? And, and, how, and how often are you at the boxing gym these days? What, you mean, uh, how did the American thing come about? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, first off, where did you move to, by the way, Gabe? I, uh, I reunited with the love of my life, and I moved to San Francisco. Ah. That's a great place we, to uh, be. You know, He's never called me that before, Joe. Just to let you know. <laughs> Pardon? <laughs> I've never referred to him as the love of my life. Was that Dave? Who was that on the other line? Oh, this is my my co-host, Dave Duena. Sorry, I I should have introduced you. Yeah. Uh, We kind of just jumped right Right, in. Dave, how are you, Dave? I I didn't hear the the little aside you got in there, but you want to repeat it? I said he's never called me that in his life, though, just to let you know the love of his life. He's never called me that, you know? <laughs> yeah, that, was, that, that was worth repeating as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, you know, not to, to take okay, too so much of a left turn in my – what's that? Good, no, congratulations oh. on your, your new venture in life. Uh, Thank you, man. Now, uh, I'm, I'm liking it. Yeah, of course. Who wouldn't? So, uh, yeah, the Amir Khan thing came about um, through a mutual friend, to tell you the truth, who knows Amir. And Amir was, you know, unfortunately, um, uh, you know, he, he ran into a, a, a bad thing with Virgil. Virgil, you know, took ill. And um, it was basically two months before his fight with LaGreco. And he had been up in the gym there in San Francisco. I'm speaking of the mayor. And I guess uh, Virgil was, you know, terribly ill. I, I don't know how he is now. I hope he's better. And um, so he, you know, he was running out of time. And, and this mutual friend put us together and um, gave me a call. And I responded. And by the time, you know, he called me, there was only five weeks left before the actual fight. So, you know, we spent one week in California, and then we spent the, the next month in uh, the U.K., in, in Amir's hometown of Bolton. And uh, hmm. so we, 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 we trained there, and uh, it was a – he's got an unbelievable gym there, believe it or not. It's just magnificent. It's, like it's a more private like gym? a building. Well, it's not just a gym. It's It's an office building. It's, you know – Really well done. Uh, it, that being said, it's, uh, you know, it's got everything there. Um, but, um, yeah, we trained there. And then, you know, we had the fight with Le Greco on the, I think, the 21st mistake of April. And um, so, yeah, that being said, we had a great camp together. We enjoyed each other's company. Uh, we had a tight team there. His family's very, you know, involved in his career in a, in a very good way, by the way. And his father, Shaw uh, 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 Khan, is really a great manager of affairs. This guy is on top of it. He, and I really got along with him well. And we had a, as they, they, uh, as they would say in England, a, we had a brilliant time together. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm quite fond of Shaw. I, yeah. I think he's a good guy, and, and you know, you're absolutely right. He kind of his control, like or organization, kind of allows Amir to be a fighter and to worry about that, and not have to worry about everything That's, else. Yeah, you know, the truth. Yeah, and the family. Just as a last addition, the 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 family was terrific. They really took me in and really took care of me. I have to tell you, it was first class all the way. So um, I really enjoyed it. And then, you know, that makes a camp when you're away from home, you're in a hotel room, what have you, you know, that uh, for that long, that, that makes a camp go by quickly. And it did. So it was really, and the payoff was great. I thought he looked spectacular. I mean, you know, American or not American, but uh, Phil Greco had gone 10 rounds with uh, the former champ, Sean uh, Porter who's fighting, you know, Danny Garcia. And, uh, you know, he lasted four rounds on three days' notice against um, Spence Jr. So I, you know, for – and remember, this is the first fight he really got to train. He didn't – he got called short notice for um, Sean Porter as well. So he had Fernando Vargas training him for, they say, 10 to 12 weeks, that he had 100. And they even marked it off specifically saying that he had 166 rounds of sparring. Um, I had heard from some reports, people that were there, they talked to sparring partners, said the guy was on top of it. He was really prepared. And they came in very confident, and he looked in great shape. And, look, I never looked for a grand slam in the first inning, you know. Uh, right. But we got one. We got one. And LaGreco himself said, you know, he's fought all three of them now, and he says it's not even close. He said, Amir Khan hits harder than either one of those guys. So, there's the uh, the long and short of it, as far as I'm concerned. So take that. When you hook up with a guy like this, do you consider, you know, especially Khan, who's been out for a while, he's been stopped a few times, um, do you consider him a reclamation project, or is it for you, that's all just kind of research you can do on the guy in order to to, to hone the project that you have in front of you? How do you, how do you view that? Well, I mean, you bring up the point everyone brings up. He's been knocked out a few times. Yeah, okay, why has he been knocked out a few times? So there's a deficiency. What's the deficiency? It's a defensive deficiency. Okay, so you identify it, which we have, and uh, you then do something to correct the flaw, and that's pretty much what we were working on in training camp. Not only that, I mean, that's that's one of the major aspects of doing it, but, you know, Basically, I'm going to implement what uh, I I think he needs, what's good for him, you know, and that's why he hired me to give him that advice. So, you know, uh, we we shared a lot of conversation about a lot of different techniques and what we need to accomplish. And it it wasn't, you know, just like I went in there like some drill instructor. No, I you know, we it was a shared vision of how we wanted all to look and. We really, I have to tell you, in five weeks' time, it was one of the most progressive training camps I've ever had for a guy that needed to change a lot of stuff to my tactics and training methods. And, man, he took to it like a cat to milk. So I got to hand it to him there. And then he lo- I thought he looked explosive. His combinations were fast, accurate, hard-hitting. Um, I've looked at that 39, 40 seconds now, you know, half a dozen times. And believe me, I, I'm impressed because when LaGreco got up from the first knockdown, 
um, and Amir jumped right back on him. He hit him with a one-two and a short left uppercut that we had been working on, but he got all sorts of leverage on it and, and stunned him and then finished with that five-six punch combination. So I, it was it was accurate. It was explosive. I thought it was uh, entertaining, you know, even though it was brief. So I, I, I think Amir Khan is a spectacular – he's a spectacular and a superlative athlete. You know, 17 years old, he won the silver medal, youngest ever in boxing for England. 22, he was a world champion at a young age of 22. Two-time 140-pound champion. I mean, no, this guy's, you know, he didn't get there because he doesn't know how to fight. He just, you know, like everything else, sometimes you can identify a flaw and really jump on it and change the whole aspect of how the guy's going to fight next time he's out there or what he'll be vulnerable to or won't be vulnerable to anymore. That's the objective. Let me ask you this, because you identify the flaw, which I think we all agree. I mean, his offense, his hand speed, and, and there's no question he's got great punching power, accuracy, the whole works. So how do, you, how do you bring him back? Do you carefully match him again? Like make well, sure that he's not he, – he, he, he builds that confidence that his chin can hold up? Well, listen, I mean, you, I mean, who doesn't carefully match everybody, you know, from your first pro fight on, you know, if you've got, if you've got a worthwhile um, uh, prospect and you're, you're, you're making all the necessary investments, um, you want to protect that guy as he's learning going up. And the same thing with top, top guys, Mayweather certainly picked the guys he wanted to fight back. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Um, right. in, in other words, yeah, you always pick the fight that's best for you. Um, I, here's the thing. You're going to get hit by almost everybody in there. No matter who you pick, you're 95% chance you're going to be getting hit. So then the next question for me is, will he be blocking, slipping, weaving, parrying those punches, or will he be taking them flush on the chin? Well, realistically, well, I, let me ask you this. He's a guy. I mean, just answer, just to answer my own statement. I am, I am working at, so he doesn't ever take those flush shots again. Right. By just drilling and drilling and drilling certain defensive drills that are atypical to all the great champions. Go ahead. Sorry. So, so, so my thing is this: like, realistically, he's up there in age already. He's getting up there, you know, and and the and obviously he's a household name. Um, especially in the UK, here in the States, you know, I, I would say that he's enough name to draw where the hardcore sure. fans still want to see what he's going to do next, right? So do you, do, you, do you go off and try to, you know, get him these careful matches, or do you go seeing that his age and seeing that his draw is just go after those big fights that he's asked for and that fans have been talking about they want to see him get in with, like the Kell Brooks of the world? Well, I mean, I don't think anybody's clamoring for it. Kill Brook fight here um, against American. I think if you're an American and you and American did most of his tra- uh, fighting here, he's more you know he's very well known here. Right. In fact, in fact, you know uh, he's he's fought a lot of the players out there right now. But the point I'm making is that a Kell Brook fight is pretty much exclusive to England. You know. Right. Now there's other there's other names that I'm sure are the promoters have been, you know, uh, exchanging uh, as a 
as prospective opponents for Americans. So I would, I would suspect they're working on that right now. And I, I don't know if Kel Brook would be the number one name on that list. To tell you the truth, I'm not the promoter or the manager, but I just don't know about that. Um, to me, are there other fights that I would like to see Americans? Sure. Uh huh. I'd like to see him uh, fight the winner of Pacquiao Mathisse to say I was going to say that. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to mention that. I know that's a fight that a lot of fans have dreamed about is see uh, to see Amir Khan and, and Pacquiao go at it eventually. Yeah. And Amir Khan, remember, he just turned 31, if I'm not mistaken. So he's, he's yeah. you know, but oh, remember Mayweather had his first multi multi-million dollar, $10 million fight when he was like 30, 31, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, these guys are coming into their own in their thirties now. It ain't like the old days where they were, you know, by the time they were 30, it was, you know, over because they had 120 fights, you know? Right. Um, yeah, that's true. It was, these guys don't fight nearly as often. And he took that long break. Can he get down to 47 yeah. anymore? Do you think that's a, uh, that door is open oh, for him? I honestly tell you something, Gabe, Without a shadow of a doubt, uh, I use the old-fashioned bringing, you know, the jet liner in slowly descending to the runway in the way I drop weight uh, going into a fight. You know, just keep taking it down a a tier at a time. And we cruised into 150. He ate two times the day before the weigh-in, okay? He had breakfast and a dinner. And I mean real breakfast, real dinner. Okay. Huh. So, yeah. So we, we woke up at 150. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so no problem. Um, no problem at all. And it was not, like I said, we ate twice. You were, you'd be thankful if you could eat one meal the day before the fight. You know, <laughs> I mean, the day before a weigh in. I'm sorry. The day before the weigh in. Yeah. You, you know, a lot of fighters don't eat for a day and a half. Two days sometimes, or more. Yeah, they're cutting water towards the end. They can not even, you know, drinking that much water is it's, you know, you like so you do it all through camp. You're cutting, or when do you kind of begin? Well, the, here's here's what I I set goals for weights. You know, starting with the camp, what we want to be next in the following week. Right, right. And the following week after that. And then the last, <clears throat> excuse me, the last two weeks, you know, you, now you start, you know, depending on the amount of work equals how much fuel you need to put in the in the gas tank. So when you start declining on your sparring in terms of rounds, uh, floor work, you start decreasing the rounds, running, you start decreasing a little bit. Then you know you have to take the the fuel down a little bit. You don't eat as much. But you still you keep eating, and then you change the different types of foods. It's a little bit of a little bit of a trick process, but and when I mean trick, I mean a, a studied one, you know, that works over the years that I learned from the old timers. So, bottom line is is that you can do it rather easily if you demand target weights week to week to week to week. Hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. You talked about, you know, Khan not taking those flush shots. And I always wonder, like, if he wasn't too fast for his own good. Like, he's – I've seen Manny Pacquiao in his prime, uh, and I've seen Khan 
when he after he got stopped and, and showed up like the first day he was at wild card i got to watch him up close and i've seen gary russell up close i've put those three guys probably the fastest people i've seen in, in person their hands uh where do you rate con and and do you think it's been about that that he just goes so fast well, uh that he kind of gets I, caught I, up i got it well you make a great point you make a great point because one of the, and i said we had many discussions and one of the after a few weeks of drilling and purposeful um, punching, you know, everything's got to have a technique to it and a, and a delivery, you know, done a certain way and for certain reasons, off of certain moves. And, he, you know, he came to the realization, he said, you know, Joe, I, I think one of the problems that I had is that I would throw so many fast punches. He goes, I really didn't have a rhyme or reason for it in a way. It was just a throw. He goes, I, I now I'm I'm more selective with what I'm doing because it, I have a purpose. I'm really looking to do something in particular with a certain punch now, and so I think that's what you saw the other night when he or a couple a month ago, is that it was very purposeful how he delivered those punches. And if you watch, because I studied the film, where his hands were when he was delivering them, and I. I have to tell you, they were still right up in the in the protective area. So um, I was very impressed, very impressed with that. And again, he brought that subject up, and you just brought up that 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 he really would throw in flurries without a concern about where you know every body part should be and what position. So he he's understanding by drilling it, by drilling it over, and I mean over and over, you know, hundreds and hundreds of rounds in front of the mirror on the double end bag, speed bag, whatever it is. It's, it's all has a purpose for offense and defense. It's never just haphazard in my book. And I think that's, uh, you know, kind of why we hit it off. Good. He was hungry for some new stuff. And, uh, I'm always thrilled to be able to work with top guys. So, you yeah, both of us comes with age, Joe, I mean, you don't you think that comes what? with age too, where, where a guy, finally kind of settles down a little bit and starts to see the bigger picture, you know, where you're just a younger guy. I mean, the way he explained it, it sounded like a younger guy that just let his hands go and didn't really think about the consequences, you know? Yeah, but, you know, yeah, there, there's there's rationale and reasons for that, too, though. Right. Um, so, look, I mean, I think sometimes the light bulb goes on when you're 20 and sometimes it goes on when you're 30 for certain things. I think he's accomplished incredible, incredible feats. He's had some very substantial wins over very good fighters. Look, I mean, Madonna was Madonna was hitting him with some great shots. He never went down from him, and right. he got hurt bad. You know, I mean, so when they say a bad chin, I don't know about that. But when you get hit with certain punches, and you know, in certain areas of the the head area, I mean. And neck, for that matter, because he got hit right near the neckline. Yeah, and he's been uh, hit by Garcia. some real punchers, though, too. I mean, let's be Pardon honest. Me? He's been, he was, he, I mean, he's been hit by some real punchers, you know, not just yeah. guys that, you know, that you would never think yeah. to knock, you know, you know, knock a, yeah, knock a leaf out of a pillow. Right. Yeah, you're, yeah I mean, Canelo is the, the, is the prime example of it, you know. Uh, but that, again, those are, those are huge tactical mistakes. And you know, you set out to never let that happen again. 
Look, I mean, Diego Corrales, before he fought Castillo, I said he's got two great tricks, okay? And one of them is he'll jab you to the body, he'll jab you to the body, he'll jab you to the body, then he'll faint, and he, he tries to get you to, to, to parry it, you know, like move your hand away from your face to, to block the low jab, he faints it down there, and then he comes around with a hook on top. And that's what he caught Diego with. So what did Canelo do? He, he, jabbed, he jabbed, he fainted downstairs, and came right. over the top with the right, right hand. Now, going into the, the Castillo fight with Corrales, we successfully defended against that trick for 10 rounds. And then he got lazy and walked out, and I do. He, he had a good ninth round. He walked out and got, just walked out in front of him and, and went for the okey-doke, something we had worked on and worked on. So he got caught, okay? So same thing, you know, with Amir, um, you know, it, it's, it's, again, it's one of those things you got to work on to not get caught with something like that. That's the old okie doke you know, faint and then, you know, hard over the top, you know, faint, low, hard over the top, you know, you can just never get, you know, you got to defend yourself in that position when you're in that position, which he wasn't able to defend himself. There was his left hand was outreached. It was low and, and, um, Canelo stepped in really hard. It, nobody would have taken that right. Nobody. Nobody. Now it's a brutal. Now we brutal know shot. why. Now we know why. So, now we know why it was so hard. Oof. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I'm glad you said it. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, come on. There's no denying it now. I mean, you know, what's what's the big secret? I, I to, to me, it calls into question a lot of fights. That's all. That being said, um, getting back to the Amir thing, it's just that's all I'm trying to do is just to get through fights without getting hit with flush shots. Okay? And if you do, be in good enough shape to take hard shots. Okay? Right. And that's all you can do because, you know, when everything's said and done, the greatest of the greatest fighters ever get hit hard on the chin. You, you know, guy, happened, you, look what happened you, to Lomachenko. You know, just that little right hand he got hit with. You know. Oh yeah, Bam. yeah, he walked right into. It. Yep, and it was a Perfect beautiful shot. shot. But, but yeah, he did walk right into it. He, he was doing so well. He just kind of lounged his way because normally he came out. He was slipping left, slipping right, slip, slip, slip. Right. No, he walked straight into it. He threw a punch he got and lazy. got countered. He did. He got. He got lazy. He got overconfident, and, you know, and he walked right into it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I almost don't want to say I almost don't want to say he got lazy because these guys aren't lazy. I think the word I would use, and I use the word lazy too, is they what they do is they get um, they lose a little concentration. Is True. what happens. It becomes so easy, right? It it, 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 it yeah. starts being like, hey, you know what? I can do anything. Let me see what yeah. else I can do and, and try something right. a little bit different. And as we all know. Right. You try something different in sparring. You don't try it in the match, in the actual exactly. match. That's you know? a great point. <laughs> right. You know. So, but let me ask, let me ask you happened. this, Joe. Let, let, yeah, let me well, ask you yeah. this. When, when, when you get a guy, I mean, so out of all the fighters you work with, you know, which one makes you rise to the occasion as a trainer? A guy that has the, the question looming over Amir, Amir's head or a guy that's already a standout? where everybody's just wondering how much better he can get without the big question of the chin and all these other things. Which one to you is, is a better fit? That's a, that's a, that's, 
I, it's really a tough question because, to tell you the truth, I'm all, I'm. It, it may not be the answer you're looking for, but I, you know, if you've got, it's like, I'll go back to the '80s if I could be two seconds along, and a guy came up to me in 1984, and he, he happened to have been a star in the '70s, right? In the late seventies, and he had been out for like oh, I want to say five years. So he was coming back at twenty eight and left it at twenty eight. Now he, uh, I remember his name, and I used to watch him fight on TV. And his name was Frankie Duarte. Okay, I don't know oh, if yeah. you remember Frankie Duarte. He trains over at Fortune Gym, right? That's right. And and Frankie, you know. Acknowledges, you know, he had some problems back in the old days, and da da da. We hooked up, and I said, "Yeah, I'll train you," because for the, to me, when I know a guy can really fight, I feel like mm-hmm. I can really make a difference in making him fight like he used to again, like I remember him. See, so mm-hmm. when I see, so I took that job on, and believe me. We, I got him all the way back to number one in the world, and we fought Bernardo Pinango in a 15-round fight for the WBA Bantamweight title in 1987. So, you know, three years later, right? And, you know, it was like three years and 12 or 13 fights on the comeback trail. But we won almost all of them. We lost to Richie Sandoval in a non-title bout like the year before in a split decision to Sandoval in a 10-round non-title bout. Sandoval was the champ in Sacramento. So my point being is that... My point being is that I just... You know what? When I know a guy can fight and they they really want to come to me and just by that gesture that they want me makes me jump in head first, see? especially when I know they can fight. And, you know, it was like, look, you got to remember, I took over Corrales after we beat him with Casamayor. I mean, I was taking the, the guy with the, that was considered the damaged goods. You know, he had been beaten by Mayweather. Right. He got by Casamayor. And, and so, you know, I didn't look like it as a reclamation. Product. I just looked at it as, man, I get to train Diego Corrales? Yeah, of course. Yeah, How I just lost Casamayor. Huh? How, how was that conversation? How was that conversation? How did that come about when Diego Corrales came around and, you know, he just lost to Floyd. Um, you know, there was everything that was just like, okay, like you said, he was damaged goods. There's no more. This guy um, didn't live up to the hype is what most folks were saying at the time. How did the, how did the conversation with him happen? Like, what what did you guys say to each well, other to say, hey, let's do it? Well, the, I mean, I'll I'll tell you how it went down, but you know, the bottom line was is that, I, you know, I had Casamayor who had just beaten him, and they ordered an immediate rematch. And um, so I remember there was a yeah. little, yeah. So there was a there was a little bit of a business problem. Casamayor goes and trains with Buddy McGurk. Okay, so I'm back in Van Nuys, and I, I you know, I don't have my my fighter I had for like six years prior to that. And so one of my assistants um, was a little pissy about it. And he said, well, you know, Diego had fired his trainer after the fight. I'm going to call him and let him know you're available. And I said, uh, I don't know if that's a good idea, <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> I, you know, he did it anyway. 
And Diego hung up on him and said, you know, screw you. He thought it was a mind game you know, we were playing, right? He didn't know anything about Casemiro not being in my gym anymore. It just happened like that day. Nobody knew, right? And so Diego told my, my assistant to, you know, take a fly and hike. And he hung up on him. And he called him right back. He said, no, man, I, I, I'm not joking around. Today. He hung up on him again. So he, he called him one more time. He begged him, please, just listen out what I got to say. And he, and he said Diego was very hesitant about the whole thing. And then he finally relented and gave him James Prince's number. And uh, they, uh, they got me James' number, and he said, yeah, he wanted to talk to me. That was, that was Chico's manager. And so I called Jay Prince, and he went, you know, hell Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he he knew what the benefit would be of having me with all my knowledge about Joel in Diego's corner in the immediate rematch, you know. So neither of them were having another fight. They were just going right back in to fight each other again. And he thought it was, a, you know, as the English would say, he thought it was a brilliant idea. So, uh, yeah, so that's how I ended up with Diego. Now, Diego's first time of he and I seeing each other since like the press conferences and the fights where they had previous months before had, I hadn't seen him since any of these conversations or anything. In fact, I never talked to him over the phone. I only talked to Jay Prince. Oh, wow. So when Diego moved to an apartment and his first day in my gym, he came, you know, he came, I want to say with that Diego stroll he had and, uh, and we met in the locker room. And um, so, uh, of course, it, he, <laughs> yeah, it was a little dicey for just about 10 seconds, you know. <laughs> just because, I mean, he's looking at the guy that was like, you know, across the ring from him just a couple months earlier, you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. But I, I will tell you one last thing about it <clears throat> that I think kind of broke the ice. You know, because I could tell he was a little, you know, once you got to know Diego, like, in a minute, he, he could be your best friend. And he was an unbelievable guy. He was really unique. But um, at this particular moment, he's, you know, in fighter mode. And so when he came into the gym, you know, you don't just walk into the gym like, hey, everybody, you know, you walk in like you're somebody, you know, and he was somebody. So the first thing I said to him, because I could tell the look on his face, I said, Hey Diego, I said, how you doing? I said, man, I got to tell you something. I said, I have never been more motivated, more frightened by an opponent in decades, maybe the most ever in my career than you facing you. That's how, how hard I worked and Joel worked. And I will tell you this. I said, I said, you were, you were the most feared guy I've ever faced. And I told him, I said, I got to tell you something. A lot of the things I thought you were going to do, you didn't do. And, wow. um, yeah. And I said, and what did he say about good, that? Well, he just, he was listening. And I said, here's uh-huh. the good thing though. Everything you didn't do that I was scared to death of that you didn't do. I'm going to show you how to do it and use it this time and you'll win this fight. And that was that. And it was over. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. Do you go back and, and, and watch those fights? 
No. 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 Is it just too? Uh, yeah. I don't. I don't because I, I have to tell you something. I I um. I really remember. If there's one thing in my, I don't remember much, but I do remember almost everything about boxing for some strange reason. Hmm. So yeah. I, you know, I don't have to. They're kind of in my mind. It's like you know. Yeah, you got an yeah, automatic yeah. replay in your head. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. Uh, I imagine. So I, 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 now I will tell you, they play the yeah. Corrales to steal so much that when you know, if I'm skipping through the channels and I see it, I go, oh, I'll watch a couple rounds of this. You know, it never fails, yeah. and I end up watching the whole. You know, but that's about the only fight because it comes on so often. Yeah. Right. Well, it's fight of the century, not decades. That, yeah. Yeah. And that you famous know. quote, you know, um, can you expand on that moment? Was that part of the game plan or part of what he needed to be doing throughout the fight was be inside? Was that what it was? Or because he was so hurt being on the outside, he was doomed? Well, that's two questions, and they deserve, both deserve an answer. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, I, I, I will say, yeah, that was our plan, was to um, be inside submarine him, beat him at his own game, get an early lead, beat him up early so later on we can take him out because if we were to go in there and box, which Diego's never done in his life, always attacked. So Mayweather couldn't get away from Castillo. What, what made us think we could? So the next question is, can Diego fight on the inside? Oh, yeah, of course he could. Just nobody ever challenged him on the inside because they were too afraid of his combos and power. They always ended up getting knocked out at, at arm's length by him. Hmm. mostly um and while they were on the run so you know i knew we could fight on the inside and i knew if we trained to a specific type of fight on the inside which is what we did it wasn't by accident so you know we did that for a couple of months and we i brought in sparring like you wouldn't believe these were all a a sparring guys these were not even B or C, these tough guys. So I had incredible spine. We were doing incredible amounts of rounds. I knew, I knew what type of fight we were walking into. Trust me, I knew exactly what we were walking into. And I knew by our game plan that it was going to be a brutal fight. I even said it at the press conference, you know, Wednesday before the Saturday fight. I said, you know, to the people in the audience, the press, I said, you guys don't realize it yet, but you're getting a pay-per-view fight for free. You know? Because that's what right. this is, you know, and it it was more than that even, but, uh, you know, so uh, yeah, our, our idea was to get inside and do that. Now the question about uh, distance, you know, the inside can be more brutal than the outside, but the inside is also safer in a way, if you know what you're doing. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you're a little, if you're a step and a half behind the other guy that, I mean, these guys were five-star quality inside fighters. That's all there is to it. They're top surgeons. Right. And, uh, you know, you, you know it's, it's the prototype for an inside fight right there. But you notice what got Diego knocked down. It was distance. He got knocked down by a long punch. Yeah. Okay. See? And that was the problem is that if you left too much space between you and Castillo, he would eventually get you with one of his feints and goes. You know what I mean? 
It was really good at it. And yeah. I had watched enough. I had watched enough film and what he did. So, you know, to me, on the inside, you can feel what a guy is going to do. You know, on the outside, you can't feel what he's going to do. You, you can see and sense, but it, on the inside, you can feel it because you're body to body. So, the safer spot for Diego, and quite frankly, where he did his most damage was on the inside all night. Now. It was a tug of war in the mid rounds, but we won the early rounds for sure, first four or five rounds. And, and the middle rounds was a tug of war, and then boom, walked into a left uh, faint, left uh, 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 jab, faint to the body, and a left hook, and dropped him. <clears throat> and then he got up and got dropped again by another left hand. So, you know, both of them were at a distance. Yeah, get inside, yeah. because that's where you're going to be safer. Yeah. Don't Great let question. him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Let me let me ask you this because I know majority of folks talk to you about the moment in the fight and or even before the fight. But when everything was done, the lights have gone dim and everything settled, and you guys are both back. You know, either at the hotel or at the gym. What what was the what was the atmosphere? I mean, what do you say mm-hmm. to your fighter after being in the century? Century, the, the greatest century fight of, of all history. What do you tell them? What, what do you guys? What did you guys talk about? Well, I'll give you the setting. It was in a hospital. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Perfect setting. It, 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 yeah, it wasn't in a hotel, and it wasn't in the gym, and it wasn't on a cruise ship. Uh, we were in the hospital <laughs> that night. So, it it really was. I have to tell you. The buzz with us wasn't that that night. The mm-hmm. the real the real buzz was actually winning the fight. The whole historic point of view and the twists and turns and all that had really not manifested itself completely at that point. Um, because number one, we were very concerned about both guys' health. They were both in the hospital. Right. And. And uh, believe me, I, I saw some things in there from some of the side effects from the, the fight that were a little disturbing, to say the least. But that being said, everyone recovered. And um, it was more about that. It was more about just, okay, is everybody all right? Because that was like, I've seen, that was like 30 fights rolled into one fight, you know, <laughs> that night. And, and And so you knew it was a, it was, yeah, it was something extraordinary, even on the on the body itself. So that's what we were concerned. That's why we were at the hospital. And like I said, the win, oh, yeah, we couldn't get it. And it's pretty much, I think, if you would have lost that fight on our end, Diego, you know, Diego was laughing while he was laying in a hospital bed. I mean, really under the covers and in a in hospital bed. Um, he was, you know, having a good time, but that's because he won. Can you imagine being the you know in the hospital bed yeah. across the hall when you lost? I mean, my God, you, the pain must have really set in. So it's it kind of ameliorated some of the uh, I say the physical pain because the the whole up you know the positive thing from winning uh, such an exciting fight was um, was what kept the mood pretty good in the room there but it was not much more than that to tell you the truth Diego, course, he, let me ask you when did when did it yeah. settle in, in Diego's head that he was 
he was in a fight that was actually that special. That you know, the result of it was that special. When it, when did it finally hit him? Well, I, you know, <laughs> I think Diego was one of the first to acknowledge it because he said it in the ring in the interview. He they asked him about what are his thoughts on the fight and basically what did it mean to him, and he said. It's an honor. He goes, it's an honor. So he, he wouldn't have said that just about any fight. I, I think he knew the, the specialness of this fight, and, um, and he, he voiced it because uh, it's one of the things that impressed me with what he said that night in the ring, which was it was an honor because it was. It was. It was the, one of the most honorable things I've ever seen a guy do. <laughs> you know, come back from yeah. that. But and he um, knew somehow that it was going to happen. I remember there was a quote. I think he said, "I'd uh, I'd walk through hell and gasoline trunks to win this fight." It was almost like he yeah, knew it, it, it was going to be uh, this way. Well, yeah, I mean, I never really said it to him. He never really said it to me. But I knew after watching the Mayweather Castillo fight, I go, "Oh boy, okay, so we got to figure." Because there was no other choice. He had to fight him. And you had to see. I was just hoping, and I think he probably did. He brought it, probably brought in tall guys to his camp. You know that box and move, and you know as a as an aggressor like you know Castillo, he you know you, you take a few steps in, a guy moves out, takes time to regroup. You know, there's a lot of pauses in between action with guys that move. You know, and I don't think he trained, although he was quite exceptional in dealing with it. But I don't think he trained for an inside fight and somebody testing him every round, see, every second of the round. So I put an extra strain on probably what he was, you know, his body, considering what he was, how he was, the speed at which he was training in sparring. It probably wasn't an all-out assault he was getting every day from his sparring partners, is what I mean, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. because you want your sparring partners to emulate who you're fighting. They, were, they probably thought we were going to box. And I figured they thought that. And I go, well, that works to our advantage because not only are we not going to box, I don't think it's possible to do it. Right. It wasn't in Diego's nature or it, it, it never manifested itself in any other fights where he was sitting there boxing <laughs> like, you know, you know, he was all yeah, trying true. to knock you out. Yeah. So, I mean, how was I going to pull that off? I don't think it would have been possible. I, I just figured we'd be better off, and our only shot was beating the guy at his own game. That's how sometimes you, you know, you can do it. You, know, you beat a guy at his own game when they think you can't, and then they get surprised by it. That's, you know, that was, so, his, uh, that was his greatness, was just, you know, being able to dig just a little bit deeper. Uh, maintain himself under that, and and I think you know oh. that's your greatness is is to know how to keep a guy within his character and be true to himself in order to in order to win. I I always think that boxers that's what they're doing their whole careers is, you know, some of them find it you know maybe that all of us were doing in our lives uh, is just trying to find yeah. that true self, you know. Yeah, that's what a coach is supposed so, to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know. Well, I tell you. Well, that's true, and I and I and I, I'm I'm self-aware of that, you know. That I yeah, 
there, there's a lot riding. You know, these are people's careers, their lives, their livelihood. You know, it's um, and you know, I I actually happen to love exactly what I'm doing. I wouldn't want to do any almost anything else, but you know. So I, I have a, you know, and I'm a, like I say, a frustrated athlete. You know, I come from athletics. You know, so, you know, I, I, to me, competition was a part of my life growing up. And, you know, I don't like to lose. <laughs> I want to I win everything. I, you know, so, you know, it's a, good, it's a good match. You know, I'm on their team. You know, I'm on their team all the way. You know, so, and that's good because they only got really one guy in the ring with them, you know. Yeah, it's not like you got to, you know what I'm saying. So you know they, they they really depend on you a lot. You know fighters, it's just you know you got to give them some heart and soul, you know, of yours. So you know they know that you're, you know, they'll give you it back, you know, in the ring. No doubt. Well, Joe, yeah. I, well, yeah, I, 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 what's that? Oh, Dave, you have another question? Or? No, I was just gonna say. I all I gotta say is, Joe, is uh, you have brought a lot of great memories uh, throughout your, your years of training, you know, from the Ruelos brothers and so on. I mean, every, every time I think about you, I think of great fights, no matter what, you know, so much, much, much appreciated, you know, what you brought to the sport. Thanks, Dave. I I do appreciate that. I do appreciate that. I, I listen, I, all I can say is, you know, I, I've been fortunate to have been in some great competitive fights over the years and, you know, it's just I learned from some of the great guys of all time back in the day. Too many to mention, as they say. So, you know, I believe me, I, I, a lot of information was passed down to me generously by the old-time trainers, and I, I got to tip my hat to them for that. That's for Next sure. time we uh, we do this, and I, I could talk to you for hours, man. I really appreciate yeah. you giving us so much time. Um, I do want to ask you, but we'll do it next time because I'm sure you've got a lot to say about Howie Steinler mm-hmm. and, and your apprenticeship with him and, and – um, you know where the game is now, but uh, but just mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. it's sort of so great to hear your voice again, Joe. It's been a it's been way too long. Oh. Thanks so well, much. Same same here, Dave. I really appreciate it. And I like I said, I jumped at the opportunity to do your show. I'm, I was actually you know looking forward to it. So let's do it again anytime you want. Fantastic. We will absolutely. All, All right, right well, you guys. You, you have a- you have a great night, and uh, we'll uh, we'll see you at the fight. We're going to be making some more memories yeah. with you uh, in Amir. Yeah, yeah. Just as a side <laughs> note, Amir Khan, Amir Khan will be coming out to train in the next couple of weeks. So you know, stay in touch with me over the course of the next month, and we'll we'll, get a little, we'll put Amir on with. You. Sounds great. Sounds great. Fantastic. All right, man. Okay. All right, you guys. Thanks for everything. You All too. Right, Joe, have a great you. one. The great Bye. legendary trainer Joe Goosen here on Leaving the Ring. Oh, man, you know, we could have stayed. We had, if we had another hour, I mean, there was actually more stuff I wanted to talk to him about, you know. Um, but we only got, no like, doubt. five more minutes left, you know. I mean, we we, had, we <laughs> didn't even do our preview or our review, anything today, because we had Tom Loffer on uh, in the beginning of the show, and then uh, Joe Goosen came on in the second part of the show. I've got an idea about that, though. You know, maybe we can do a little supplemental show or something, because, uh, you know, it deserves more than five minutes. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll figure out something. I mean, I... I guess we could do the fight, fight, uh, fight preview if you if you like. I could run it down. In yeah, let's minutes. go ahead. We've got like five more minutes. Let's go ahead and do that. You know, we got Jojo Diaz versus uh, uh, Gary Russell Jr. What's your take? What do you got? Who do you got in that fight? That's just a great fight. I mean, uh, you know, I would pick Russell Jr. if um, if he fought more often. 
but this is the once a year sighting <laughs> of Gary Russell Jr. And I, you know, I, I wonder, I mean, you know, um, Lomachenko how weird, fight, huh? it's, yeah, how, it's so strange. How, how weird. I, I, Adonis Stevenson, who's been missing in action, same thing with Gary Russell. They're both going to be fighting the same week, you know? How, how did that <laughs> all come about? How did that happen? You know, what, what, mm, who did that have in common? Did, huh. <laughs> who, who's um, on their side of their uh, negotiating table? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't understand. They must get paid like really, really well, well enough to just chill and fight once a year. I, I wish I had right? that job. I'm okay. You can't knock yeah. the hustle, you know? I know. Um, I'm jealous of the hustle, though. I got to tell you that. I, I'm really jealous of the hustle because they don't have to work once, uh, once out of the year, if that. Seriously, workers of the world unite. Work, work less, make more. Uh, what is, union uh, are they on? What union <laughs> are they with, you know? Uh, We're boxing. That's here. who it is. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, but uh, you look at Diaz, and he, he fought twice last year. Um, you know, it just seems to be getting better and better each fight. He, he picked up a belt, a uh, vacant belt, you know, and then he defended it. Um, he's workmanlike. He goes rounds. I, you know, he's got all the things. Uh, big, big power is not what he has. I think he it's hard enough to keep you honest, but, uh, you know, he's not. I mean, at the top level, I haven't seen that 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 one hitter quitter. Uh, let's, you know, uh, something to worry about all night. Uh, but I, I'm going to go with Joseph Diaz Jr. Anyways, I, I like his activity uh, the last few years. Gary Russell Jr. is one of the most naturally talented fighters I've ever seen. Uh, just you know, super fast, great balance, great hand speed. Um, but just the activity, it just, it just bothers me, but I won't be surprised if he wins either, not to be hedging my bets, but, um, it's, you know, this one's a toss up. Great, great matchup. Uh, who you got? Well, I think, I think the thing that you mentioned was Diaz's workmanship, you know, um, Gary Russell's got the fastest hands, obviously, uh, one of the fastest hands in the sport, but when you're not consistent and and you're not working against guys that are going to come forward and you're not in the gym, but in the actual ring night, um, that to me can pose a lot of problems for you. Because you got to get used to the pressure. You got to get used to a guy not coming to work, but coming to beat you to continue to work. You know, uh, which I mean is like a sparring guy is going out there and he knows his position. He knows what he's there for is to be worked on for him to put in hours for you to perfect whatever you're bringing to the table. But then when you get a guy that's actually looking to take away take the food off your table, that's a whole completely different scenario. So I wonder how Gary's going to react to a guy coming to win. That's going to work for a win. So I'm leaning with Diaz. I'm really leaning with him. And I think the only thing that's against Gary, it's not his hand speed, but his inactivity. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, uh, also that night, Showtime, uh, Adonis Stevenson versus Badu Jack. I'll just be real quick. Badu Jack, all day, all night. Uh, I think he gets really? that chin. I think he beats up Adonis Stevenson. Um, I just, I, I like me some Badu Jack. I do, too. I like Jack, but I just don't think Jack can hold up to the Superman punch. Um, mm. I just don't know. You know, the reason why I say this is Adonis Stevenson has bailed himself out with the awkwardness and the weird balance that he has. He's still able to generate this, this, this punch that takes anybody out. You know, I asked Tony Bello, <laughs> you know, um, the guy just, it's a very, it's a very well-preserved power that, that, you know, they always say the last thing to go in your boxing skills is your power. And that's something that hasn't gone away, hasn't deteriorated. You know, the only thing is that how Jack 
defense-wise is he going to be? Because offense-wise, we know what he's going to bring. But defense-wise, to me, he's got to make sure that Superman doesn't land on point, on the button, you know? Yep. Uh, And we're wrapping up time here. Um, No, I I, I got you. I think the the show is uh, just about over. But uh, you want to take us out? Yeah, we ran out of time here on Leaving the Ring, and we had a great time as always. Uh, Everybody enjoyed the weekends. Uh, we'll try to recap everything, uh, maybe throw it on another like pre-record show. Here are our final thoughts about the stuff that we didn't get to catch up with, the 365 days with Canelo. Uh, plenty of other stuff here on Leave the Ring. Uh, if you missed the show with Tom Lawfer and Joe Goosen, uh, don't worry about it. It will replay. You'll catch the archive, and you'll be able to tune in and listen. Enjoy your weekend. Remember, don't drink and drive because you will spill your beer. Have a great weekend, guys. Uh, Gabriel, as always, see you next week. Same time, same place. Peace. Ladies and gentlemen,